For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Some Jewish believers in the first century were having such a hard time living the Christian life that some were going back to their old lives and the comforts of Judaism. The book of Hebrews is a passionate plea to those Jews to continue in the Christian faith by realizing the supremacy of Christ. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Jesus is Greater. Having wrapped up a very thorough study, verse by verse, through First and Second Timothy, it's time to dive into the next book for our consideration on Sunday mornings. Now, since Titus uh, would take us right back to the exact issues that we've been covering and hammering uh, for several months now, I think it best to consider. Uh, taking a little break from Titus and coming back to him, uh, kind of changing the channels and getting refreshed with a new theme in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. So on to a book we have yet to walk through uh, on Sunday morning from the New Testament. Uh, let's see if you can guess to yourself, in case you're wrong, you don't want to be embarrassed, right? Uh, uh, which book that's going to be by the following clues. Uh, Now, I said to Pastor Jim, I think I am going to go to the book of, and then uh, he said, well, if you do use that book, you're going to be talking about Jesus a lot. Now, don't think where you think, because this epistle, okay, so it's not a gospel, epistle's fancy word for letter. This letter... The theme of it is Jesus is better than anything else, all right? And uh, uh, furthermore, if you still, how many of you think you know what it is? All right, good. Still a lot of you in the dark. That's, (laughs) no comment. Uh, You might want to wear your yarmulke, those little Jewish beanies, all right, because Uh, The writer of this letter has Jewish Christians as his primary target audience, and here's what he's saying to them. Jesus is better than anything in Judaism, so there's no sense in thinking of leaving the Christian life and going backwards in your faith to anything in the Old Testament or to Judaism because everything you need is right here in Jesus because he's better than everything. Anybody? How many more were enlightened by that? Okay. Another word for Jew would be Hebrew. <clears throat> How are we doing now? <laughs> God, hey, I see you. Uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Jesus is greater. That is what we're going to start talking about. Now, let's talk about the author. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, only God knows for sure. Uh, But the editors of the King James Version, is kind of funny. It says, if you have an old, old King James, it says, uh, Paul's letter to the Hebrews. (laughs) Yeah, so assuming, I guess, somebody knew. 
uh, but actually nobody really knows because it's not signed. It sounds a lot like Paul, but the Greek, um, and all scholars agree, it's more literature style. It's very high Greek, but it's more literature-like. Uh, Paul writes like a scholar, like a theologian, right? So there's a happy medium. A lot of scholars say, hey, you know what? Paul probably wrote it because he's, he's a Jew and he's a pretty smart one at that. And Hebrews is very Jewish and very complicated. Uh, perhaps he wrote it when he was in prison and Luke, who's been hanging with him for years, who wrote Luke and Acts in beautiful Greek, that sounds a lot like the kind of Greek used in Hebrews, that perhaps Luke translated Paul's Hebrew letter. And then you would find the difference. You know what? It doesn't matter. You know why? Who the, who's the real author of the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. Yes, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. There's a winner. There's a winner. Sean, see me later for the prize. <laughs> And so, yeah, um, verse 16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. And so we know who the true author is. Okay, what's the situation? Well, the reason for the letter, it's a passionate appeal to Jews who got born again. They found the Lord. And they're, they're taking a lot of heat, not only from their own Jewish families, but also in the Roman Empire. Uh, just for the sake of being Christians, they're having a hard time. But then they, they, they have a lot of trouble with their families and the holy days and the temples there. Everything's going on and, and Jesus is invisible, but they, they, and they're struggling and they're tempted to go backwards to the things that were more comfortable and more easy. The old life was calling. Hey, the temple that shines, the brilliance of the sun with the gold plating and the marble and the trumpets blaring at the evening sacrifice and the priests with their beautiful songs of praise and the incense burning and the seven holy days of those beautiful feasts and family gatherings. Remember those days. And now what do you got? You got a lot of you got a lot of trouble. Oh yeah, these are Jews who came through the temple curtain. They busted through by the blood of Christ. They got born again. They're inside. They've come to the light. But they're realizing that when you come to the light in a world that prefers darkness, there's going to be a price to pay. And in the stress and the strain and the struggle, they're thinking, I'm going to go back to Judaism. I'm going to go back to Moses. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. I'm going to go back to the Feast of Trumpets. Because my life was a lot easier then. But one writer put it this way. Even though Hebrews is addressing the temptation of Jewish believers wanting to go backwards to Judaism, Hebrews is a great book for anyone who has ever had moments of wanting to turn back to the old ways to go backwards instead of forward in faith, where there's a perceived less challenge, uh, less striving, and less loss, and more ease and familiarity. And so with that said, the short of it all is nothing compares with Jesus. And here's what he's going to do for 13 chapters. He's going to take a few of their favorite things, Jewish. He's going to line them all up. 
and you're gonna take the Son of God and compare it side by side, and one by one, shoot those few of those favorite Jewish things right out of the sky. He's gonna obliterate them. Not that they were bad or wrong, but because next to Jesus, the Son of God, they pale in significance. And they lose their meaning totally without him because he is the fulfillment of them. And so he's going to say nothing compares to Jesus. And in our first opening section, the first thing up for comparison is the prophets, the wonderful prophets, David, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. He's going to say, line them up, and then let's line them up to the Son of God. All right? You ready? Verse 1. We've got it on the screen for you if you've got your Bible. In the past, that means in the beginning, the first covenant, the Old Testament, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days with Christ, the New Testament, the new arrangement, the new covenant, the final word, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Let's stop there. That is our text for this morning's reflection. And if you go line by line through that paragraph, you will be humbled, Christ will be exalted, and you will be more devoted and willing to serve him. And so we're going to take a look at that. If you're taking notes, I mean, the the one point that the umbrella over this text would be better than the prophets of the Old Testament. These are Jesus' uh, credentials as the Son of God. And he's wanting them to line up, put Moses there. Can you say this about Moses? Can you say this about David? As as off the charts respectable and heroic as they are, taking nothing away from them as godly men. But can you line them up to this? This is what he's doing. He's going to get them to see that. The word better is a key word, of course, in the book of Hebrews. It appears 13 times. And really, he's going to say that Jesus is better than the Old Testament things, not in the sense of replacement, and I think that's important to note, but in the, in the sense of fulfillment. Okay, there is some heretical teaching out there that says uh, we do away with the Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament. We're in Christ. You know, we got the New Testament. In fact, some of them will just say, we just need Jesus' words. Well, Jesus quoted the Old Testament all the time. And there's about a thousand uh, references in the New Testament to the Old. The Old Testament is the word of God. And it is eternal. And it is profitable for teaching and useful and God-breathed. Now, True, there are ceremonial laws that we are no longer under that have been fulfilled in Christ. And there are national laws to 
ancient Israel that aren't for us since we're a church and not the nation of Israel. But everything else is the word of God. We need the Old Testament. It is the word of God. Jesus just said, listen, the Old Testament isn't the one that's obsolete. Judaism is obsolete now. People were having a hard time with Jesus teaching, and he looked at the Pharisees one day, and what did he say? He says, listen, if you take new wine that hasn't had a chance to expand and ferment, you put it in an old wine skin, you're going to have a mess, all right? Because the old structure isn't suited for the new wine that's sort of alive and expanding, all right? So... uh, Christianity is the flower, it's the fruit, it's the end product of the bulb or the seed or the root of Judaism. And Judaism is beautiful, the bulb is beautiful because the bulb is the tulip and the tulip is the flower. And you're not going to disrespect the the bulb, but you're not going to dig up the bulb and say, look at this beautiful bulb when the tulip is right there. If you're sitting down to a gorgeous dessert, you know, the recipe's one thing. The recipe's one thing. It's a beautiful recipe. Thank you very much for that recipe. But when you've got Bananas Foster sitting in front of you, <laughs> you know, you look a little bit differently at the recipe. Thank you. It's, it's not that you tear it up and say, you don't need that anymore. You're going to need it if you want Banana Foster's again, right? <laughs> How many of you don't know what Bananas Foster's is? You poor, unenlightened <laughs> souls... First of all, you dice up some fresh bananas, and you get some butter cooking, you get some sugar, brown sugar, all kinds of sugar. Any sugar, that's sugar. Put it in there. You put a little cream with the butter, with the brown sugar, and you get those bananas going in there, okay? And then when that all caramelizes into absolute magical wonder... You take pure vanilla ice cream, none of this 100% petroleum product stuff. (laughs) Pure. When you read the ingredients, it says vanilla, cream, sugar. Period. (laughs) Buy it. Scoop it out, nice and big, and then you ladle for days the stuff on top of it. But you put the bananas on the bottom too and in the middle and then whipped cream on top. Trust me, you are going to be so popular at the Christmas Eve dinner when you bring that out, and then I want a shout out. Pastor Ross said, okay. So, yeah, Uh, and then after you got the the meal on the table and the dessert there, you know, let's go into the next room, and I'm going to bring out the recipe, and we're going to go over it step by step. Seriously? Hebrews, seriously. You got the dessert, you got the turkey, you got the flour, you got the end product, you're in the curtain. The light's there, you got God. And you're going to go back? You know, I use this one too. Uh, um, When the kids were little, going down to Disneyland, that's a long drive. Suddenly you're on I-5, you see Harbor Boulevard, you see Disneyland next exit or two, you know. It's a big place. (laughs) You know, you can get off the next five exits, you'll hit Disneyland, right? The kids see the sign, Disneyland, they're just jumping up and down. And 
So excited. So we get there, right? We're on Indiana Jones. Our favorite little ride there. Or Pirates, where are Jordan sitting? <laughs> and then I say, hey, kids, let's get off the ride and let's go back to I-5 and let's look at that sign that says Disneyland, five miles ahead. Let's do this. <laughs> You're crazy, Dad. We're at Disneyland. We don't need to go back to the sign and get all excited. It was exciting when we were over there waiting for this. Oh, what a thrill to say, hey, hey, John the Baptist, no one greater. God says, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist because he's standing right there. He's standing right next to the ta-da, the sun, the whole ta-da of, of the Old Testament. Every shadow, every type, every verse, every chapter, everything was screaming and hinting and suggesting and pointing and painting of Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, among men born of women, there is no prophet greater than John the Baptist. And everybody's thinking, better than Moses? Better than Elijah? Better than Elisha? Why? Because he's right next to the and then he goes on to say, and by the way, the least Christian, the most insignificant of them all, is greater than John. What? What's he saying? He's saying, if you have the ta in you, you are greater than the ones pointing to the ta-da's right there. John got the closest, so John's the greatest. But if he's in you, and you're in him, and you're born again, and you, you're in Christ, you're connected to him, the least one who's got that is way greater than Moses in that sense. right? Because Moses didn't get that. There are, Moses was saying, hey, there's a prophet coming. He's like me, but you need to follow him. He's like me, but he's greater than I am. And so... That really is the message. So he says, in the past, in those days, God was speaking. Now, listen, folks, if God was not a speaking kind of guy, God, I should say, uh, then we'd all be in a world of hurt. Adam and Eve sinned against God. He said, the day you do this, you're going you're gonna to bring death. And they did it. And they died spiritually right there. And then ultimately, they had a physical death. But we died in them. And, and we were lost and we were outside that curtain. But we weren't, we weren't going to move that curtain. There was no way back in. So God started speaking in various ways and in different times. Uh, he started the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies declare his handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no language or nation or tribe or tongue where his voice is not heard through the grandeur of his creation, Psalm 19. Of course God is speaking. God, our Savior, wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, For God is not willing that anyone perish, but that everybody come to repentance. 
Of course he starts speaking, starts speaking right away as soon as it happened to us. He grabs the devil and he says, serpent, get over here. He says, Christmas is going to come. 3.15, chapter 3, verse 15. Devil, Christmas is coming. A virgin, her seed is going to be your conqueror. A woman, a seed, not them, but a woman's seed. The virgin birth, chapter 3, verse 15. He started speaking right away. I got a plan. And what is the plan? Judaism. Judaism is phase one of the plan. Let's prepare the way. Let's prepare a people. And through the people will come a savior. That's Judaism. And then everything in Judaism, the forms, the the rituals, the commands, the Bible people themselves are types of Christ. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Everywhere you look, Jesus is on every page of that Old Testament. I mean, he, it, it goes on in various ways, and uh, God is speaking. It, he, it goes on. Uh, you've got, in Genesis 22, you've got God saying, hey, let's do a dress rehearsal. Abraham, take your only son. Bring him up to this hill, I'll show you, and sacrifice him, your only son. On a hill called Moriah, which also is called Calvary. It's the same hill. So he's speaking. He's saying, get ready in 2,000 years, Jews, when you get this Abraham Isaac thing in your head, on Moriah, you're going to see the father sacrificing his only son on the same hill, and it'll make sense to you, or it should be, because he's speaking. He's saying there'll be a rock through Moses that follows them around. The Lord is our rock. Strike the rock, and it'll bleed out living waters. There'll be manna from heaven. He's spoken in various times and in various ways. Jesus will say, that manna was me. The Red Sea parting, Christian baptism. The life of Joseph, there are 100 similarities to Jesus in the life of Joseph. In Genesis 35, And following to the end of chapter 50, a hundred ways Joseph is painting the picture of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, and his coming again. It's all there. He's been talking to us, Hebrews. He's been talking to us. Here's a nice quote. We'll move forward. God was speaking in a multiplicity of ways, though it was never boring, never irrelevant. It was always progressive, but always lacking and never complete until Jesus came over the grassy knoll one day. And John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son. Now, I said that first service, and I said, ta-da, and I kept saying, Jesus is the ta-da, and I said, you know, that sounds like a Hebrew word, and a Jewish Christian came up to me and said, ta-da is to thank, to thank, and I said, oh, that works, (laughs) that's going to preach second service, thank you, the son, and now there he is. That's an amazing thing. Okay, 
Paul or whoever, speaking as a Hebrew, who wants to go back. Listen, I know that in my head. I, okay, I get you in my head. But listen, I see the temple. I was still getting phone calls from my Jewish mother saying, Oy vey, where were you already? <laughs> All right, that sounded good. Come on. <laughs> I'm from New York and a Jew, so, you know, I've had a little practice. So, uh, where were you? It was the Feast of Trumpets. I made the latkes already. I made them just like you want. Oh, what is this? Are you not giving me this Jesus thing again, son? Really? It's not that they couldn't go to the feast, but there was enmity and strife, you know? A Jew, Christian Jew could say, hey, I'm coming to the feast, but the, the holidays were looking forward. And they, at the feast, they had an empty chair for the Messiah. So you don't have to go as a born-again Jew and sit there next to the empty chair waiting for Jesus. You're like, uh, he's here. That's like, hey, son, don't start again with this Jesus stuff, all right? Yeah, so he's saying, I know it all in my head, Paul. But Jesus is invisible, and my mother's phone calls are audible, and the temple is still there. And the priests are blowing the trumpets and everyone's going except us. And you know what I'm getting in return? Mocking, trouble at work, death threats by the Roman government for being a Christian. I just want to go back and eat the latkes with my parents. <laughs> You're not the only one. You got your mama and your latkes, but you know what we got? We got a life. We got a life where we made a lot of money before. What, and now I got this Jesus and I took, you know, a pay cut. I took this Jesus and you know what? I lost three of my best friends. I took this Jesus and my life is harder now. Maybe the old way isn't that bad. Maybe I could do Jesus and the old life a little bit. And Paul's going to say, are you crazy? Look what you have Look at the benefit. Look who he is and look what he's done. Those are his credentials. Now, let's go to those credentials. Somewhere. There they are. Here's a new slide. Let's just take the credentials and look at them one by one. He's saying, I'm going to give you seven reasons, seven credentials of the Son of God that ought to help you stick with this Jesus, okay? So number one, he says he's heir of all things. Now, here's the deal about being an heir. You don't always look like an heir. So when you're born like a human, everybody forgets that Mary uh, had the, the Holy Spirit can, uh, overshadowing her and that Jesus is fully man, but he, as fully man, he doesn't look like a divine heir. But if you come from a place called heaven. Jesus said, I came down from heaven. John chapter six. Then as a baby and a child and a teen and a young man and a man, you've got something coming to you. You're gonna be restored to what once was yours in the first place. Father, glorify me with the glory that you and I shared in the beginning of the world. He's an heir. We got the air. You Hebrews, you got the air to all things. Well, so what? He's made you co-heirs. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 17. It's pretty cool to hang out with an heir. I mean, somebody came up to me uh, after a service in San Francisco where I was preaching. And I got to know this young man, 28, good-looking guy. He had a beautiful sports car, top-down, just like, wow, kind of car. And uh, we got to know him a little bit. He became a Christian. Uh, I said, what do you do? He goes, oh, I don't need to work. I try to keep busy. I do little stuff here and there. Why don't you need to work? He goes, well, I, I live in Pacific Heights there. I've got one of those mansions looking out over there. And, I, and uh, I said, well, are, are you going to be here next Sunday? And he said, no, I, I got another house over in Manhattan. And so I live on both coasts. And you're 28. You're driving that car. You don't work. He goes, I'm an heir. I'm an heir. It's a long story. It goes way beyond my dad. It's family money, and I'm an heir. It was so much fun hanging out with him. It was, <laughs> it was just cool, you know? And I led him to the Lord before I knew he was an heir. <laughs> uh, but we'd go out to coffee, and I was like, I didn't say this, but I'm like, he's an heir, <laughs> you know? It was just kind of fun, and he's saying, Hebrews, he's not heir to the planet. He's heir to the planetary system that everything in the universe, every speck, every person, every dollar, every animal, every throne, every power, every dominion, he gets the whole thing. He's coming into it in his exaltation. It's already his. He's the heir. And hanging out is one thing, but becoming a joint heir with Jesus I can't even imagine that. Why would you want to? He says, I've hooked you up to Jesus. And everything he stands to inherit is yours as well. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) You want to leave that? You want to go back to the latkes after that? I don't think so. (laughs) Number two, just in case there's any doubt, he made the universe. He, He made the universe. Space and time exist because of him. Genesis chapter 1, you have, you have the Trinity, the Godhead. There are three persons, one God. And we're talking a lot about two of the members, God the Father and Jesus. But it, right in the beginning, you get the whole Trinity right there. You've got God the Father speaking, let there be. That's his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So you have God the Son and God the Father creating the world while the Spirit is hovering over. You don't get out of three verses without Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there. By him, all things were made. Look at these two verses, John chapter 1 and verse 3. I love the awkwardness of it. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. (laughs) That just says it. How else are you going to say it? If you see it, it's because Jesus made it. That's pretty amazing. Where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is more than a man? Where doesn't it say in the Bible (laughs) that Jesus is more than a man? Can a man do this? Can Moshe do this? Elijah, you know, he did a lot of great things, but can you say that about Elijah, my dear Hebrew friend? No, you can't. That's his point. There's another one. It gets voice. I'm out of control. I'm slapping myself right now. Or Brian's coming to do it for me. (laughs) For by him, by the Son, 
oh, may this just marinate into our brains. All things were created. And if you want to know what that means, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him. Who's him? Christ. And, by the way, for him. So, I'm in Sebastopol, in line for coffee, minding my own business. <laughs> Maybe not. I started a conversation with a woman, and I started talking about Jesus. She goes, you talk like Jesus is God. And I went, I went bingo. Yeah, he is. And then she said the famous words that I use all the time here because I really like it. She said, there's a circle of divine masters, divine ascended ones, the teachers. There's a circle. Quote, and Jesus just needs to take his place in the circle. I was like, whoa, I'm stepping back here. I don't want to be singed with that. He just needs to tell him. Jesus just needs to take his place in the circle and be quiet and be a good little boy. Just, it's not just him. There's Buddha, there's Krishna, there's a lot of ascended masters, and he just needs to take his place. I said, listen, listen lady, you know, Jesus invented the circle. <laughs> he is the circle. He fills the circle, and he'll take a seat anywhere he wants to take a seat. Come on, come on, people, come on. And where do, where do you get the authority to say that? That's not my idea. I'm just a messenger. I'm telling you what's written, and it is written that by him all things exist. He made everything for himself. Wow. Moving on, number three. In case... You know, Jews, Jews are a little, okay, I can say this, stiff-necked, all right? We got a little streak of stubbornness going on in us, right? So he's going to hammer away until he just lets you go, okay, okay, I get it, the sun's better. Okay, the, ra the sun is the radiance of God's glory. The word here is effulgence. We don't really use that English word much, at least I don't. The light bulb gives the light, and the light is the effulgence. If you took God's glory and bottled it in a human being, you'd have Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of the glory of God. This is what the Jews wanted to kill him for, because they started hearing this kind of stuff. They, he said, for which of my good deeds do you stone me? John chapter 10. For a good deed, we're not stoning you, but you, a mere man, make yourself equal to God. That's why we're going to kill you, for blasphemy. Well, he said things like this. It's the radiance of God's glory. And, you know, we got a little proof of that, didn't we, in Matthew 17, up on the mount of what's called transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John up high to a hill somewhere, and he starts to do his God glory thing. He, it says, his face shone like the brilliance of the sun. Just imagine this. His clothes dazzling, blinding white. Peter, who has foot and mouth disorder, <laughs> like me, he, it says he gets a little crazy because 
he sees Moses, the law, Elisha, the prophets, and the son in the radiance of God's glory. And here's what he does. And you've missed this because I missed it too. He says, oh, I see the law and the prophets and the son. Hey, I know. This is great. I'll make a tent for Moses. I'll make a tent for Elisha. And I'll make a tent, Elijah. And I'll make a tent for Jesus. And the Lord, the God, the Father, he's just going like this. And the God, the Father, just can't take it anymore and interrupts him. <laughs> Can you imagine having God have to speak from heaven to quiet you and to interrupt you? <laughs> so he's going on and on and on. Oh, look, the Moses and the prophets and, the, and Jesus. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Law, prophets. No, 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 no. Don't you be building your tent, Hebrews, for all the, all the three, like they're all the same. Law, prophets, Jesus. No, it's Jesus. The law and the prophets are just pointing. Same thing God was saying, God the Father. This is my son. Listen to him for... In case there's any doubts, he's the very image and essence of God himself, the exact representation of his being. The Greek word for representation is the stamp of, you know, the die cast. When you want to engrave or emboss something, it means, you know, you got a piece of silver, you're going to make a coin, and you imprint that, right? He's saying he's, if you take God and you imprinted his essence, his character, you, you made a stamp, and you, you pressed it into human flesh. You'd have Jesus, and it would be the exact replication. Can you say that about Moses? As wonderful as Moses is. You say that about any of the prophets? He's the exact representation of his being. That's a pretty amazing thing. In other words, you know what? <laughs> Philip, on the night Jesus was betrayed, said, oh, Lord, things are getting hot in here. You're telling us you're going to be taken and crucified, and we, we could use a little vision. Could you just show us God the Father? And he says, Philip, how long have I been with you, and still you don't know me? I've been here three and a half years. Who do you think I am? How could you say show us the Father? He who's seen me has seen God the Father. John 14, 9. Check it out. Now, I think this is fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Colossians 2, 9 says Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. What's fascinating to me is, is that, and I think for the most part it was kept from their understanding that behind the big brown eyes is the God of the universe. That's what this is saying, Okay. That has some very interesting implications if you're the humans around him, right? So, I mean, let's start with Mary and Joseph. You know, poor Joseph. Guys are, you know, a little intimidated when the babies are little. But if Joseph knows, hey, you know, this is the Messiah, you know, and Mary says, can you just hold him? He's like, no, I'm not dropping the Lord, you know? 
You know, and I just start thinking about what is it like to grow up with God as your older brother? You know, he had siblings, James and Jude and Simon and Joseph are named, right? And so everybody's at the dinner table, right? He's the perfect stamp of God. He is God in a human body. And even if he's eight years old, sorry. I mean, he was a perfect eight-year-old, whatever that looks like. We would never know. <laughs> so everybody's, you know, the food is flying, the spitballs, and Jesus is there cleaning up the mess. Everybody's fighting and being disrespectful, and Jesus says, can I offer the prayer? They despised him. John chapter 7. Hey, when they're grown. Hey, why don't you go up to Jerusalem, Mr. Famous? You won't be famous. Why are you hiding out here in the boondocks? Should you saddle up your pony, big boy, Mr. Messiah, and get a move on? They thought he was crazy. Mark chapter 3, they thought he was nuts. And then afterwards, Jesus appeared after the resurrection, and he appeared to his brothers. And the brothers, I could just hear them. <laughs> Just, I, I am so sorry. It was just really hard to imagine that you were God, my bigger brother. You know, that's an amazing thing. Just an amazing thing. Was that when Joseph and Mary misplaced the Lord? You know? <laughs> they're driving away in their, their caravan, and they're, uh, Mary looks at Joseph and goes, you know how parents are, you know? says, hey, where's Jesus? And Joseph goes, oh, where's Jesus? Uh, he's with you, right? And Mary says, don't be joking like that, Joseph. <laughs> and then they both turn white as a sheet. Why? They've misplaced the Messiah. <laughs> you know, I've misplaced my glasses. I've misplaced my car keys, my wallet, just about anything. But, you know, to misplace God? Oh, so yeah, you know, I think of those funny things, you know, to see him by the fire. I would be freaked out, you know. I'd be laying there by the campfire and just looking at him. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I'd be like, there he is. He's the God, and he's asleep by the fire. And he's probably knowing everything I'm talking about right now. And of course he does. <laughs> you know, anyway, I can clear clearly see that some of you have lost interest in my little bunny trail. <laughs> You need to show your body language in less, in more subtle ways. <laughs> All right, moving on. You get that one? Five. He sustains all things by his power. Now, all this means is not only did he start everything and create everything, he and he alone is carrying out the destinies of the world according to his sovereign pleasure. In other words, you know how we have a today and we have a tomorrow and we all have lives and there's like human beings in the room. All of this is he's, he's orchestrating life. Wow. Moses, love you. I love you, Jeremiah. Oh, oh my, all the prophets, Jonah, all of you, you're great, but you can't do that. You really can't. This is more than a prophet. One far-off divine event toward which all creation moves. Tennyson wrote that. And he's orchestrating it. I guess if you had like a... Um, 
If this was a movie, the Lord Jesus is the author, the director, the producer, the financier, the conductor, the casting director, the owner of the theater, uh, the PR manager, and the star of the show. And he's paid everybody's ticket in. You know, he's just, he's pretty much, listen Hebrew, but you've got Jesus, you've got God. And if you've got God, there ain't no reason for turning your head and looking sideways or backwards. Amen? Amen. All right, I think you can relate to that. Okay, moving on to number six, the purification of sins. And there's only one left after this. This was the big ticket item, of course. So he says, let me show you five uh, points of his resume that show the awesomeness of his power and his being. And now let me show you something awesome that he did for you. That this being is, is the greatest being of all, and this sacrifice is the greatest sacrifice on your behalf of all. And he planned it. He wants you to know that he wasn't killed for his good work. It was his good work to be killed. So, so they didn't just catch him and kill him. It was orchestrated before the foundation of the world. In fact, there were times where they said, hey, we can't kill him on Passover. We can't kill him on Passover because there'll be a riot. Oh, no, you will kill me on Passover because I'm the Passover lamb. He's in control of it. When they came to get him in the garden, right, he goes to them. Hey, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am the divine I am he. Bam, on the floor, on their faces before God. There's 200 of them. He's saying, hey, let me help you guys up. I know you've got a job to do because I am calling the shots. John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me. I'm laying it down. He's mocking them saying, oh, you guys come out with your clubs and your swords like you're coming to get me. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. He goes, I'm in control. Pilate says, don't you know who I am? I have the power to release you. And he says, excuse me, Pilate. <laughs> but you're a pawn in the Father's plan. You have no power except God give it to you. So I'm looking past you, sir, into God's plan. You see, this is all God. He came to purify our sins. He came to tear that curtain wide open so that you could go in. There was a sign on, you know what that curtain stands for. On this side, death and hell. On the other side, God and life. And he said, I came, planned it, to offer myself as a way to bust down that curtain and find a way for you to have life. He provided a permanent remedy for the defilement of sin by freely laying down his own life. No, prophet did that. I'm sorry. But Muhammad didn't do that for us. And Muhammad does not have these credentials. I spoke to a, a, a Muslim, an American-born one. Right outside of a store I was going in, I was, I was on a job. It was a secular job. And he handed me a flyer, and I said, let me give you my prophet's credentials. Not only is he God in a human body, 
but then he spilled his blood for a ransom payment for me. And you want me to follow some man? I will follow the God-man who laid down his life and bled for me. How does your prophet forgive sins? Well, you gotta do the five pillars, and then you're not really sure, but if you die in holy war, you're in. I said, you know what? My prophet, who happens to be God in a human body, who shed his blood, said, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, I think I'm going to stick with him. You know, um, that's what he's saying. Moses was nice, but Jesus provided the way in. And lastly, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, Gentiles don't resonate with this, but every Jew who heard it was like, oh, wow. The high priest wasn't allowed to sit. So there was no chair in the Holy of Holies. The furnishings disallowed chairs because the sacrifice for sins was never accomplished. It was only a temporary peace was brokered, right? As looking forward to when the high priest could sit down after the deed was done. And so he sits down when he's exalted because he says, it's finished. It's finished. What does he cry out from the cross? He cries out, and the Greek rendering is teleo. And it means it is finished or it is paid in full. In fact, in Matthew 17, when the Pharisees come by to just stir up trouble with Peter, they say, hey, Peter. Jesus is inside. Hey, just asking, do you guys pay the temple tax? Or you guys just don't break the rules, right? Do you guys teleo the temple tax? Same word as Jesus saying, it is finished. It is paid in full by the blood of not a prophet, not a man, not a high priest who couldn't sit down. Why? Because he didn't have the goods. The high priest had to come in with blood for his own sins. This high priest comes in and goes, I don't have any sacrifice for me. I am the sacrifice, and I have the bank account to pay for all of their sins. A man who's in debt can't bail someone else who's in debt out, Right? That's the whole purpose we needed a sinless offering. Because you can't pay for my sins if you're a sinner. So the sinless one goes in and says, I got the bank account. I got the goods. And he lays down his life and he says, it's finished. Therefore, he seated. Secondly, this other at the right hand. That's just a beautiful. He told his accusers the night that he was being tried. What did he say? Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ the son of the blessed one. He says, I am. And you will see the son of man, the son of God, sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow. Revelation chapter one, verse seven says, behold, he comes in the clouds of glory and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. In other words, they all exist. If they repented, they're with him. If they did not repent, they are in Hades awaiting the great white throne where they will be resurrected and they will be judged accordingly and condemned. But every eye, he says, are you the Messiah? 
Answer us, I charge you by the living God under oath. Are you the Messiah? He says, I am. And you will see me seated on the right hand means the one with all the power and authority in heaven. That's an idiom. It doesn't mean he sits on the right as opposed to the left. The right arm is the, the idiom of strength and the power. So you will see me with all of heaven's power coming in the glory of heaven. I mean, that was a pretty big answer. And they said, what more do we need? He's the dead man. They tore their clothes, cried blasphemy, and the rest is history. He sat down. He cried out. It is finished. Could you put the credentials up there for me? There they are. Now, you want me to put a bumper sticker on my car that says coexist? I, I, coexist has a symbol of all the different religions, and you've got Jesus' cross in there. Like, he's just one of the emanations taking his place in the circle of life. How am I supposed to do that? Of course, when I proclaim him as the only way, as his word goes, it's his way or the highway. It's going to make everybody mad. But do I have an option? Do I have an option? Hebrew person, where are you going to leave this? You, you think, where, where are you going to find a deal like this? He's just asking. Where are you going to find somebody like God who wants to make you heir with him and lay down his life to pay your way in? Where are you going to get that? Show me a religion who, 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 who gives you a free pass in, who God does all the work for you. Show me one. All religions are basically the same. Really? And the last, next time somebody says that to you, here's what I want you to say. If they're all the same then let me tell you, Jesus says he's God in the flesh. He laid down his life. He bled and died for us. And he says, anyone can come into heaven if they just trust me and do nothing else. Show me one other religion that's even close to that. No, there isn't anything like that. Who's got the... Who died? Peter... Peter, Jesus looks at Peter in John chapter 6 and says, hey, a lot of people are taking off. I, I, I started talking crazy. I started saying, hey, I'm the bread of heaven. Come down. Anybody who eats the bread will live forever. So if you think about it, he's, Jesus says, my body's like bread and you need to eat. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will go to heaven. So people were like, okay, we're done, <laughs> Right? So they start taking off. All Jesus meant was, hey, the cross, the work of the cross, better be something that you ingest inside and live off of like food, or you'll never make it. That's all he's saying. But he's weeding out the real ones from the false ones. And so the real ones are still sitting there. And he turns to Peter and he says, hey, look at everybody leaving, Peter. You're going to take off too? And Peter says, uh... <laughs> Where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. That's what this writer's trying to do to those Hebrews. He's saying, you going to trade this in? I want you to think of one thing in this world is worth taking you away from this. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your wonderful love and the, hum- the humbling and hum- humility that comes from thinking on the grandeur of Christ and the wonder of what he did on our behalf. We thank you. It just makes us want to love you more and serve you better. We ask now that as we contemplate this death, the purification of our sins, that you would open our eyes and encourage our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.